But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And uh, we'll be looking today at verses 1 through 12. So what are your routines in life? We, we all have routines. My morning routine, I like to get up, go get a cup of coffee, and then sit down, read some scripture. Uh, after I do that, I try to catch up on the news and eat breakfast. I'm kind of one of those people that until, until the coffee cup, first coffee cup's empty, let's don't really engage in meaningful... Co- Randy, you're that way too. Okay, let's don't... Anybody else that way? Yeah, yeah, let's don't really engage in meaningful conversation until then. And we have these routines. We have routines at work. You have routines in your marriage, routines within your family, even have routines at church. And routines are not bad. In fact, uh, we need a certain amount of routine in life. Uh, There's some people that are change junkies. You like it just always, always changing. You're kind of addicted to drilling. Like it, like it. Anybody get change junkie in the room? No. Okay, one. We got one change junkie. All right. You know, every moment has to be an experience. But to be honest, most of us, uh, if we didn't have routines, we would kind of be nervous wrecks. And those routines are an in- indispensable part of life's safety protocol that keeps you from just always being full of anxiety. But then, every now and then, often when you least expect it, God shows up. And God does something that breaks your routine. And God does something that gets your attention and causes you to have to move or causes you to have to do something differently. For Mary and Joseph, God came to them and revealed that they were going to miraculously have a baby. And that was going to change everything about their life. Because of that, they were going to be misunderstood. People were going to say some awful things about them. And oh, by the way, you're going to have this baby in Bethlehem. And the way that you're going to get there is when you're about nine months pregnant, you're going to have to go on a hundred-mile road trip riding on the back of a donkey. Any pregnant lady loves to hear those words, right? So much for the routine. You have the shepherds. The shepherds were just going through another routine, mundane night, counting sheep, and then the angels appear. So much for the routine. They were terrified, and everything changed. You have the wise men. The wise men were a long, long ways away from God, watching the stars, and then a new star appears. And so much for the routine, everything changed when we see the new star. So all through the Christmas story, you see that people are having their routines broken with a purpose. God was breaking their routines in order that they might move to join Him in His work. There are times when the God of the universe intervenes into your scene to modify your mundane because there is work that He desires for you to join Him in. We see this when Jesus took on flesh, when He crosses the cosmos and takes on flesh, and He is 
born in Bethlehem. We see this with Mary and Joseph when they had to modify everything and move to Bethlehem or go to Bethlehem and then eventually move to Egypt and then back to Nazareth. We see it with the shepherds who left their fields in the, in the, they left their flocks, their fields in a flock, left their flocks in a field to go find the Christ child. And we see it with the wise men who moved to follow the star. Now why? The reason why they moved was because God was moving. And He wanted each of them to be a part of His work. So today, I want to look at Matthew chapter 2, and I want us to zoom in on the story of the wise men. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in verse 1 of Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem. And they were saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, I want you to notice a few things about these wise men. The first thing I want you to notice is that this happens after Jesus was born in Judea. And where do they arrive? They actually arrive in Jerusalem. And they arrive at the house of King Herod. So the wise men were not in the manger scene. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, but your nativity is a little bit off. Now, you don't have to go boycott nativities or go any crazy on me, okay? But, but the nativity is a little bit off. Uh, there, there also were probably more than three. You say, well, where do we get the three wise men? I, I don't know. Maybe they balance out the sheep, the pig, and the goat. I don't know. But anyway, it makes the nativity actually have balance. Uh, they were probably very, very wealthy. They likely had some type of ostentatious, ostentatious presence about them so that whenever they arrived in Jerusalem, uh, everybody noticed. Perhaps they were from Babylon or Persia, some of the eastern countries. They were not Jewish. They were Magi. Perhaps they were uh, followers of Zoroastrianism or astrology or maybe even black magic. But these wise men, these magi, were attracted to the star. Their astrology and black magic was far, far from holy. But here's what I want you to notice. God revealed himself to them. God began shining his light into their world. And to the Magi's credit, they began seeking the light, which is the star. There's some similarities in the wise men story and John chapter 1, which is also, I think, a part of the Christmas story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to talk about how he was the light, and through him, uh, through him there is, is a life for every man, and that the light shined into the darkness... And the darkness could not overcome it. And so when I think about these wise men a long, long way from God, I think about the light shining into their darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. They notice the light, and they begin following the light, following the star, leading them to Jesus. When you drive around and you see the lights of Christmas, 
It ought to remind you of the story of the light coming into the world. Perhaps those lights remind you of the wise men following the star in order that they might find Jesus. But now here's an interesting question. Why are the wise men part of the Christmas story? Well, the angels proclaim to the shepherds that there would be good news of great joy, and it would be for all the people. And one of the things that you discover about the message of Jesus, particularly after his uh, death and resurrection, is that he continues to press the issue that the gospel or this good news is supposed to go outward. And then, of course, you see the ministry of the Apostle Paul, who began taking the good news to all the people. But you see this unfold even at the birth of Jesus, because Jesus is not just the Savior for His people, but He's also to be the Savior for all people. So we have the shepherds, who are Jewish, And we have the wise men who are like most of us. They were Gentile. And in both cases, the message of Jesus was proclaimed to these people. Now, all my life, I've grown up in church. My dad's a pastor, and so all my life, people have even said, "Uh, are you going to be a preacher one of these days? When I was a little guy in kids' church, we used to sing songs and my voice could be heard over all the other boys and girls singing. And so people started saying, well, there's Lashley. He's the little preacher boy. He's the little preacher boy. And then, of course, uh, grew up, and God did place a call upon my life, and I felt the Lord's calling to preach the gospel, and I've been trying to do that ever since. But even though I've grown up in church, it's important for me to realize that I don't own the story of Christmas. You see, Christmas is not just for those of us who grow to church. Christmas is not just for those of us who this is all that we've ever known. Christmas is for the wise men too. Those guys who are far from God. Those guys who might be searching for answers. Jesus was born for them too. Now the wise men make an assumption. They make an assumption that the star meant that there was a new Jewish prince born who would eventually become king of the Jews. So, if you think there's a new prince that has been born, where do you go? Where would you go? Thank you, Chrisman. Yeah, everybody say, thanks, Chrisman. There we go. So you would go to the king's house. So that's exactly what they did. They decided, okay, King Herod and one of his wives must be having a baby, so let's go to his house. And so one day, they all show up at King Herod's house, and I don't know, maybe they ordered one of those yard signs that say, congratulations, it's a boy, or something like that, but they make a big deal, and they all come into King Herod's house, and and when King Herod heard this, verse 3, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, here we are at a point in the Christmas story when the Southwest Airlines bell goes ding, and the narrator says, want to get away? Because this is an awkward moment. You've shown up to welcome the new king of the Jews, and you go to the king's house, and he's like, you got the wrong address. We haven't had any children. 
Now, unwittingly, they had challenged the king, and they had upset him. And notice the Bible says that he's deeply disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. You see, when King Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's right, okay? So when the king's upset, everybody got upset. And so Herod here starts scheming. He calls in the scholars, and he's like, all right, they say that the Messiah is to be born. Where do the Old Testament scriptures say that the Messiah is to be born? They look it up, and the scrolls are like, okay, in Micah chapter 5 and 2 Samuel chapter 2, it says he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so they begin kind of zeroing in on that area. And isn't it wild that Jesus was being born just five miles away, and they had all of this knowledge, but none of them bothered to go see for themselves. You see, they had knowledge, but no action. Now, on the other hand, the wise men who had been a long way from God, who didn't have much knowledge, at least they were legitimately seeking. Herod was scheming. You see, he didn't really care. Herod didn't about worshiping the Messiah, all he cared about was himself. And he actually ordered that all the babies in the area be killed. How low of a person do you have to be to kill babies in order to protect your turf, in order to make sure that you can keep your kingdom? Verse 9 says, after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east, and it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure, and entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, falling, falling to their knees, they worshipped him, and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the wise men leave King Herod, and I would imagine they were probably a bit confused. Okay, we saw this star. We followed it to get here. We thought we were welcoming this new king, but then he tells us we got the wrong number. And then God shows up. I... I love it when God shows up. I love it when we don't know exactly what to do, we don't know exactly the answers, and then God shows up. And you see, sometimes in life, it gets confusing. Sometimes in life, there's a lot of noise. Sometimes in life, you're not sure exactly where to go, and then God shows up. And when God shows up, even in the midst of a storm, you can find yourself having this peace and you start to have direction and everything starts to come into focus because instead of confusion, instead of wandering, you begin to realize, okay, this, this is where God is. You see, when, when you're searching for God's answers, it very likely won't be found at Herod's palace. Because Herod was consumed with earthly stuff. 
He was consumed with playing politics. He was consumed with uh, protecting his turf. He was consumed with throwing parties, and he was often scheming. You're not going to find God showing up at that place. You're going to find God showing up when you seek Jesus. Now, understand this. You need to know who you are. And you need to know, as a follower of Christ, what your calling is, what your mission is. Because there's going to be times when life gets in the way. There's going to be times where you start hearing voices over here, voices over there. There's pressures here. There's things that have to be done here. And there's all these distractions that will tempt you to get your eye off your call. But if you know who you are and you know where you're going and you know that God has placed a call upon your life that will bring glory to him, no one can take away that call. That call roots you in joy. That call brings to you joy. Happenings can't steal it. People can't steal it. Death can't steal it. When you know what God's call is on your life, it is there with you no matter where you go and no matter what happens to you. And know this, the call of God on your life will always lead you to Jesus. Okay? There will always be noise, there will always be distraction that will be leading you away from Jesus, but God's call on your life, no matter what that looks like, will always lead you to Jesus. And God's call on your life will always lead you not to seek your glory, not to say, hey, everybody, look at me. God's call on your life will lead you to have people seek God's glory. God's call on your life will lead you to prayer. It will lead you to Bible study. It will lead you to spiritual growth, not just external transformation, but heart transformation. And so the, the wise men leave King Herod's palace looking for answers, and God shows up. And when God shows up, very consistently all through Scripture, when God shows up, it leads us to Jesus. It leads us to Jesus. Following God's direction always leads you to Jesus. And to find God's answers, the wise men had to listen. They had to listen to God. And they had to follow his will, and they had to follow his direction until it brought them to the place where they were exactly where God wanted them. God's will will always stretch you beyond the physical into the spiritual. God's will will always lead you to Jesus. And when the wise men came into the house, they instantly became worshipers. They brought Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Literally, you could say they brought Jesus gold and essential oils. <laughs> gold was something that you would give to a king. Frankincense was something that you would burn for a god. And myrrh was something that you would use to anoint the dead. There's an ironic connection here. Because Jesus was born in Bethlehem to die in Jerusalem. And so even as a baby, they brought him myrrh, foreshadowing his death upon the cross. Now this isn't in the scriptures, but this is something that I, I think happened. I believe God saved those wise men that day. I think when they bowed before Jesus and worshipped, that they became believers in Jesus. Verse 12 says, being warned in a dream 
not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. You see, Herod had told the wise men, you go find the Christ child, or you go find this king, and when you find him, come back and report to me, because I want to go worship him too. But did he really want to go worship him? No, he wanted to go, go kill him. And then God uses this dream to let the wise men know that's not, that's not a good plan. You need to go a different route. God told the wise men to change directions. And I have to ask you this question. In your life right now, which way are you walking? Are you walking to Jesus? Are you walking away from Jesus? Are you walking to Him to be a worshiper? Are you walking away from Him, really seeking your own glory and your own fame? It may be that it's time to take another route. Now, I began today talking about routines. And routines are not a bad thing. Without them, a lot of us would be nervous all the time. And much of Christmas is about the routines or the traditions of Christmas. We have poinsettias up here. These are part of the routines of Christmas. We have the Christmas trees at the back. Those are part of the routines of Christmas. Whenever we gather next Sunday evening, we will have candlelight. That's one of those beautiful routines of Christmas. But the story of Christmas is anything but routine. The story of Christmas drives you to change directions. Behold, I have good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Well, what is that good news? The gospel is good news. What is the gospel? It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ. At the heart of Christmas is Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Who is he? He is the eternal Son of God who crossed the cosmos, took on flesh, and was born in Bethlehem. He lived a life that you could never live. He lived a life that I could never live. He lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross for my sins, making an atonement for me. And he conquered death, and he calls us to believe in him so that everyone who believes might have eternal life with him. And whenever you believe in Christ, a spiritual thing happens. Whenever you believe in Christ, God's Holy Spirit, Romans 6 talks about, baptizes us into Christ. So what this means is that as a believer in Christ, God, spiritually speaking, sees me in Christ. So even though I am a sinner and I have done things that are wrong, God pronounces me justified, which means that I am pronounced not guilty. Not because of my goodness, but because of God's grace. God sees me in Jesus. That's why I have eternal life. Because on my own, my life will eventually fade and I will eventually die. But whenever I'm in Jesus, I have resurrection from death because I'm in Jesus. Whenever God sees me in Jesus, that's why I can be God's child because I'm his son 
too. And if I'm in Jesus, God sees me. Hey, we're family. And God says, hey, come boldly to my throne. Call me Abba, Father, because you are in Jesus. Whenever you are in Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter what life throws your way. The scriptures talk about whether death or famine or nakedness or sword, whether height or depth, no matter what I face, I am convinced of this, that we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, whose love from which we will never be separated because you didn't earn his love. His love was extended to you through grace. That's the gospel. We are in Jesus, and that is the good news of great joy. Hey, listen, because I'm in Jesus, I don't, I don't wake up every morning wondering, can I be good enough today to earn God's love? I wake up every morning knowing that I, I can rest in God's love, and I can seek to bring glory to Him through the way that I live my life each and every day, knowing that I am His for all eternity, and nobody can take that away from me. I would imagine that for some of us in the room today, it's time to change some directions. Maybe it's time to quit following your own path and instead surrender to God's path. Would you guys be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? There might be somebody in the room today that says, I I can kind of relate to the wise men. I'm kind of on the fringe of the Christmas story, on the outside looking in. But you know, Lash, as you talk today, God stirred my heart. And I believe this. I believe in Jesus, and I, I want to give my heart to Him. And I want to make this my moment where I, like the wise men, bow and worship. Trusting in Jesus. You say, Lash, what do I do? What do I say? You might call out to God and say something like this. God, please forgive me for the things that I have done that I should not. At this moment in this church, I am believing in and I am placing my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And I ask you to change my heart, to forgive me, and to be my Savior. Lord, I'm asking this, I'm asking you for this to be my moment of salvation. And pray that prayer in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if today was your day of salvation, I would like to know. And so I'm going to ask you here in just a few moments to do something for me. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But I do want to know. And so if this was your moment of salvation, would you just look up at me and let me make eye contact? Just look up at me and let me make eye contact. This was the moment when I gave my life to Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to follow the light, to do what is right. Help us, Lord, not to be distracted by 
all the things that are around us and all the noise that might be in our ears. But help us, Lord, to pursue Jesus. Father, I pray that you might give us deep, deep joy. May we anchor ourselves in that joy and rest in it. And Lord, may we know that you love us with a love that doesn't fade. Help us, Father, to be sincere. Help us, Lord, to be authentic. Father, when we need to change, help us to admit that and to make the change. And help us, Lord, to realize that we're all in it together. And together, Lord, may we seek Jesus. And when we find you, may we worship you with all of our heart. It's in his name we pray. Amen.